1: The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons.
2: Thanks so much for joining us for our latest podcast. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. There are two subjects on the podcast today from a race perspective. One is the fact that Tampa Bay has now seven arbitration cases, which is the most the franchise has had. Uh, They had 14 potential cases. They settled half of them. That news came down on Friday afternoon, and I chatted with President of Baseball Operations Eric Neander, and we'll hear from him momentarily. And then on Sunday, the international classes were announced. Uh, for the latest period, which began on Sunday. The Rays signing a total of 24 players, uh, 12 from the Dominican Republic, 12 from Venezuela. And Steve Miller, who heads up that effort, will chat with us in a little bit. But we begin with President of Baseball Operations Eric Neander, um, who touched on kind of the whys and wherefores of how the Rays ended up with a total of seven cases.
1: Yeah, it's a look... Um first and foremost, as far as the, the makeup of our team <clears throat> going this year, this doesn't affect anything. This is about part of the, you know, a player's journey um, where they've they've earned the right to, you know, to go back and forth on, on an appropriate salary. And these steps are in place to resolve any honest disagreements. And, you know, last year, I believe, I believe we had 13 cases. They were all settled. This year, I believe we had 14. And um, we were only able to, agree on on seven of them, which is unique. Um I believe it's unprecedented, you know, at least in my experience here. Um but it but it can happen. And uh I think, you know, more potential for it to happen, you know, when not necessarily disagreement over a player's contributions, but just the uniqueness of their path. And you know, when you think about someone like Jeffrey Springs, you know, think about someone like Harold Ramirez and their journeys. Uh, you know, it just, it opens up more room to have, I think, what are honest disagreements about just how to appropriately balance, um, everything, you know, to that point in their career. So, um, I believe we, you know, we put our work in, we did our best, to, um, you know, to operate in good faith, very much believe that in each situation players, their agents did exactly the same. And, um, there just can be honest disagreements about how to interpret things within this process. So, um, you know, we'll we'll go through it, we'll get it taken care of, and 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 we'll keep going. Um, it just is is part of it, you know, and at the same time, I think you know, our, it's one of those things where, you know, I think one of our most accomplished, if not the most accomplished player, Randy Rosarena, like we got that done, you know. So it's not even necessarily a matter of earnings potential alike. It just is truly about the disagreements that can occur or how you interpret a jury to a point in time.
3: You you mentioned the size of the class and and I think that was what first came to mind was oh yeah fourteen cases it's hard to get fourteen cases settled but you also mentioned last year it was thirteen and all of them were agreed to was last year more of a surprise or more of a surprise that you have so many that are still left to to figure out now
1: I I just I really uh, as I just kind of wandered through my last explanation I, I think each each year is unique each case is unique and. Um, the more, the less common a, a given journey might be through this process, the more room there is just to have, you know, differences of opinion about how to, how to best put that together. Um, but I don't know. I, I think you know, to me it's, it, it, it'll land wherever it lands. Um, sometimes you get them all done. Sometimes you don't, but as long as both sides are operating good faith and trying to find that common ground, I think that's all you can ask for and feel very much both last year when we got them all done this year and we didn't that, um, you know, that was, that was certainly the spirit which both sides acted throughout. And I think that you focus on that part more than the the ultimate outcome. Obviously, you'd like to get them done, but we judge it more by the effort and the intentions. Um, but I would say that they were constant in both years and they ended up in very different places, certainly.
3: The hearings themselves would all be done by February 17th, which is before all players or your full squad is due to report. How do you make sure as a staff, you move beyond that? Like, because an arbitration hearing can be difficult sometimes for a player if they're sitting in on it, or just the fact that you've got to, you know, be honest about why you feel about your side.
1: Yeah. I, I think it's, it's a great question. I uh, I don't know in any situation that we're in, I think that you, you know, my my job de- description is different than a player's job description, thankfully for our team. Um, and uh you know, their agent's job description is different than mine and so on and so forth. And I think you just have to own your role in this. And I think there's a way to to do that, to speak candidly and honestly about that and to be respectful of all parties involved at the same time. And, um, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if that's the best way or there's a better way to do it. I just think if you can be honest, if you can be respectful, be truthful, own your role in this thing, um, even when you have disagreements you know, such as these, uh, there's, there's ways past them. And I, I think at the end of the day for the players, the coaches, they're you know, the coaches aren't involved in this process. They're trying to do everything they can to be, help the players be as good as they could be as are we from a different perspective. And it's, it's just part of it. And, and like I said, as long as I think you go through this whole process, um, looking to find common ground, looking to understand the other side, operating in good faith in that respect, then, you know, sometimes the disagreements aren't really even about how you, value the players, you know, abilities and contributions to your club. It could be within the system or just again an interpretation of what carries the most weight and in this process.
3: This is the first year after the new CBA. Is there anything different that you think may have led to more um reason for um potential hearings or or is it just happenstance?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't I don't think so. I think carrying thirteen into you know the sprint that existed last year. Um, once the new CBA was agreed to, to opening day. I think there that probably was a more challenging environment to get things done. This one, like I said, I, I think with just some unique player journeys to this point um, and how they're interpreted. Yeah, you know, it's just there's room for a lot of different interpretations. And not right or wrong, just a matter of that's why this process exists. That's why you put it to a panel. But um, no, I, I, I don't. I don't think there's a whole lot outside of just going through the efforts and. This was a year where we had some unique cases, and um, you know, you, you have you have this part of the process in place to, for you know, there to be a, a fair resolution for all parties.
3: And you and many other teams are known as what are called file and trial teams, which you know by this date on Friday, if you didn't reach an agreement, you then exchange terms with so many cases. You know, you guys are always adjusting processes. Is there any thoughts, maybe? Moving off that, or adapting that in the future, or is this kind of the best way for you guys to go about things?
1: No, I, I don't. I don't believe so. I, look, at some point in this process, there has to be a deadline, and it, there, there needs to be a time, whatever that may be, to put the pencils down and to feel like, hey, we've we've put our our best foot forward. You know, um, everyone's put their best foot forward, and and this is where we are, and then we have to move on to the next step. I, I, I don't think that there is. Yeah, somewhere in there, there has to be a deadline. And whether that deadline is today or whether that deadline is the moment before you walk into a hearing room, I think we're all going to gravitate towards a deadline. And I think this is a perfectly reasonable place on the calendar where time is available to really allocate to this, um, to try to, to get this done. And I, I don't think that there's, you know, if the deadline is a week ago or it's two weeks forward or anywhere in between, I, I really don't think it has much of an impact somewhere. There's got to be a deadline to to push both sides to their max, And, um, you know, now we have clarity and we go forward
3: from here. Well, good luck in going forward. Obviously, a lot of work to do on that and also getting ready for the start of spring training. We appreciate a few minutes on the podcast. All right. Thanks, Neil. Appreciate it.
2: That's Rays President of Baseball Operations, Eric Neander. We appreciate him joining us. Obviously, uh, not easy to have seven cases, but I think Eric kind of put it in perspective. It doesn't change the fact that the players are or aren't going to be with the Rays in uh, 2023. It just means they have to determine what their salary is going to be, and an arbiter will help determine that. Uh, Now, moving forward, the Rays signing a group of 24 players overall. 12 coming from Dominican Republic, 12 from Venezuela. Probably the two to be highlighted in this class are Braylor Guerrero, who the Rays see as a top five prospect in the latest class internationally, as well as a pitcher who the Rays are very high on, and that's Jose Urbina. We'll hear about both of those in a minute, but we start with Steve Miller, uh, who heads up the international operations for the Rays. Uh, he kind of took over that role with Carlos Rodriguez moving up in the Rays' uh Baseball operations chain, so to speak, and I first asked Steve to give us an idea about his journey to get into this spot.
0: Well, I started um, my career shortly after playing. I coached in college for 13 years, and then um, in 2006, I was hired by the Toronto Blue Jays as an area scout in the Upper Midwest. And my uh, the first day on the job, uh, Carlos Rodriguez was also his first day on the job, and Carlos and I worked together until 2010 when he came to Tampa Bay. And then in 2013, uh, shortly after that draft, I came over here with Carlos and have been on the international side ever since. I started as a cross-checker with him and uh, was a cross-checker until 2019. And when he was promoted to vice president, um, then I was promoted to uh, the director of international scouting.
3: So, how different having worked on the domestic side versus the international side is it? Especially when you're projecting younger players for the most part. A lot of these kids are signing at 16, 17 years of age, uh, where you're still signing, you know, fair amount of college kids for a domestic draft.
0: Yeah, it's when when I first did this. Um, the first thing Carlos asked is, "Have I ever done anything internationally?" And I hadn't. And at that time, um, we I was dealing. With Toronto, we were starting to make a shift from a, a heavy college um, philosophy to projectable high school kids. So not only was I uh, foreign to the international market, but also fairly foreign to a lot of projection. Um, and so when I came over, it was it was a certainly a transition period, but it it didn't take very long to have an idea of what you were kind of looking for, and a lot of that was because uh, as I said, Carlos was a good mentor, but we just we really take a simple philosophy the farther they are away from the big leagues, the more they have to look uh right, so the more the deliveries have to look like a starter, the more they have to look the more the swing has to look um like it's there's some fundamental um foundations to it. So, in in when you're dealing with an older kid, generally it's um, you're looking at stuff and how the stuff crosses the plate. When you're looking at a younger kid, it's how the arm action and the delivery work. So, it's just a lot more projection uh, when you're dealing with the younger kids. It, it's a lot more fun um, because it's in many cases you're looking at a blank canvas and uh, you really have to kind of squint to really see what these kids can be in the future. At times. But um, every single day I wake up on the international side, especially in in certain countries, but every day I wake up, I really think that today I'm going to see a big leaguer. I don't know if he's going to be 12 years old or 22 years old. I don't know if he's going to be a shortstop or a right-handed pitcher. But I really have that feeling every day that I go to the ballpark now that there's going to be a big leaguer and
3: you guys have had a lot of success in recent years with the international side what characterized this
0: class for the race and what do you like about it uh this class it's you know so many so many of of these classes now are starting to blend together because we're looking at so many classes uh, at the same time we're we're, we're watching guys um, obviously that are eligible to sign now uh, we were watching guys that aren't going to be eligible to sign until 2027 starting to build history with them so the last CBA when teams started finding out how much money they had to spend um, we really started working in advance in terms of building uh, history with these players so we really started looking at not only guys that were signing for this year but we also started as I said looking at classes two three four years down the road so we can try to build some history with those players so When they are eligible we can put ourselves in a better position to make a better decision in terms of this class um i think that this class has some really high-end talent but it also is a pretty deep class and i think that there were a lot of um position players and i think there will be a lot of position players later in the draft or later not draft i'm sorry but later in the signing for less for not the big bonus guys who end up developing into some of the better players in the class. Um, I am really happy with some of the players that we got at the top end of our class, but I feel really good about some of the guys that uh, we were able to, to save some money on. And I, I really think that one of our, a couple of our better players may come from some of the players that we didn't give as the high signing bonus.
3: In the Rays have had a history there, and we'll get to that as well. But let's start with the top. You signed a Guerrero, um, not from the same family, uh, but this one is a corner outfielder. Uh, tell us a little bit about him and what makes him
0: potentially a special kid. Well, the first time we saw Braylor, he was um, Bobby Heck was down there with us, and uh, Bobby is outstanding. He's he's has a ton of knowledge and a ton of history and and experience and he comes down and helps us out a lot on the international side and he was on one side of the fence and I was on the other side and we're both watching uh, this guy with Danny Santana and Danny's our supervisor in the Dominican and I think he's as good as it gets in on the international stage and he took us to see Braylor and the first swing that he took uh, I text Danny and uh, we were at the same game but different areas of the field and I said is this Juan Soto and I'm not saying he's Juan. Juan is a really special guy, and, and Braylor doesn't have the same field to hit that Juan has, and, and Juan has uh, is has an elite field to hit. But it was a similar comparison when I'm seeing him. He, he's a left-handed hitter. He has present-day size, uh, present-day power, present-day bat speed. He, he just could really put on a show. And at the time, he was running okay, but not great. And at the time, he threw okay, but not great. And as we've watched him progress, The foot speed has improved from like a 7.360 to a 6.95. The arm strength has improved from 86 to 88 from the outfield to now he's 92, 94. So he's continued to improve even after we first saw him. And as we've collected information on him um, through live at bats, he's shown more than just a power over bat. Now he's actually showing the ability to hit and it's just we're just blessed that he has power to go along with it.
3: How about the the other stuff, the intangibles? Um, what makes this kid a good kid? Because that's important too when you're giving out a large bonus to a kid who's considered one of, depending on where you look at the rankings, the top eight or top twelve prospects in this class.
0: Yeah, he has a, a really good family life and a very good work ethic, very strong work ethic. And as I said, he's improved in. Many different areas, and I attribute that to his trainer, who does a really nice job with him, but also uh, his work ethic. And the one thing that we're going to have to work with Brayler on is he's very hard on himself. Um, he expects a lot out of himself, and when he has, uh, when he doesn't perform to his level of expectations, um, he's he beats himself up pretty good. And this is a, a game where you can easily beat yourself up. Um, frequently with, with the amount of failure that happens in this game. So I do think that um, we need to keep him grounded to some degree. Um, he will, he does have high expectations, and which is part of the reason that he's done so well and, and part of the reasons that we like him. But we also need to, uh, he needs to understand, and he will, um, but he needs to understand that it's a hard game and hitting hard the hard part of it. So give him some time to catch up with the speed of the game and and, uh, start realizing that we can't necessarily judge the results, but judge the process. And when he gets to that point, uh, then we really think he can take off.
3: The top pitcher that you guys have signed kind of has come on a little bit later and was probably more projectable What Jose Urbina. Yeah,
0: yeah, Jose, we saw Jose when he was in Colombia. He's from Venezuela. And uh, a lot of the The players in Venezuela are going to Colombia now to since it's so difficult to get into Venezuela and we saw Jose at a showcase and he pitched really well and he was getting ready to leave that afternoon to go back to Venezuela and we were fortunate that we were that he stayed an extra couple days so he could pitch for us again we wanted to see make sure we had a second look at him and uh, the first look was good he was he threw strikes and Uh, commanded the ball and and showed some feel for a breaking ball and at the time he was 88-90 and uh, we we liked how he competed on the mound but it was a short stint. It was a two-inning showcase type look and so we really wanted to see how he competed in games, uh, how he handled adversity and if he just happened to have a good day or if he actually has command. So he stuck around as I said and we put him in a game situation and uh, Angel Contreras, our scout in Colombia, was able to set all that up for us and did a really nice job. And the same thing that we saw that first day, we saw from Jose that after, that second day. Uh, he just he really commanded the ball well, especially for a, a 15-year-old kid. Um, he he threw a bunch of strikes and still 88 to 90. He uh, flashed a couple of breaking balls that showed future potential to be an above-average pitch. He didn't really have a change-up at the time, but at that time, at that age, future uh, few, few kids do, and, and why would you feature it anyway when you're 88, 90 and facing hitters that are having a hard time catching up to that? You know, no reason to speed their bats up. But um, so anyway, we, we, we were able to uh, see Jose Moore and some of our pitching coaches were able to work with him. And they worked with him with the change-up. And in the same day they worked with him, he threw uh, a game in an instructional league and was able to show that change up. And there were two of them that were above average pitches. So he showed aptitude, he showed competitiveness, he showed work ethic, he showed pitchability. um, And his tools started to pop a little bit. And he was 88, 90 when the first time I saw him. And by the time uh, the last time I saw him, he was 94, 98, uh, with a, a plus breaking ball, and as I said, two changeups that were that are going to be that showed signs of being plus in the future. So, we we thought Jose was going to be this good. We just didn't know he was going to be this good this quickly.
3: Be interesting to follow his evolution for sure. The Rays have had history too of finding those guys who you're projecting a great deal. Vidal Brujan comes to mind, Yanni Chirinos. Uh, they were all uh, very small bonus signees, but have turned out to be big league players. So who are some guys that maybe we're going to hear about further down the road um, that will take a little more time to project, but also have a lot of promise?
0: There are a couple, there are a couple infielders that I think can fit that mold. Uh, one is Jose Monson. Uh, he's from Venezuela and he's defensive oriented um, defensive oriented shortstop who can really catch the ball has above average actions and as uh, a left-handed hitter and he's really done a nice job of making contact that's one of the things that we've been very very impressed with it's going to take some time before he grows into his strength he's a he's an, a strength away type player he's physic. he needs to, to physically mature he's' I guess, basically, he's built like most 15-year-old kids. Um, He's not like Braylor, who's already has man strength. But uh, he has above-average contact skills, above-average actions at shortstop. So when he grows into that strength, now those balls that are uh, being hit over the right fielder's head um, start going to the warning track or over the fence. So when that all comes together, I think he's a guy that we'll be talking about in the future. Um, Albert Palma is another middle infielder from Venezuela, uh, who has above-average contact skills and is has been a pleasant surprise defensively. At first, I thought he was going to be an offensive-oriented second baseman, but he's starting to show signs of being able to stay at shortstop um, with his bat. If he can play shortstop, he's going to bring uh, real value. Um, we have a couple catchers, Alfredo Rodriguez and Jose Tovar, who I'm very excited about. Um, and there, there's a, a shortstop named, uh, Yonangel Angel Morris from the Dominican who has a chance to be a plus defender at shortstop, and he's a switch hitter who uh, right now has strength in his swing. He's more of a power over bat, but he can really uh, impact the ball. Once he starts making more consistent contact, then he has a chance to really be a guy that we talk about in the future.
3: What people don't realize, too, is when you are saying shortstop – And whether they stick at shortstop, if you have middle of the diamond type players, they eventually can play anywhere if you so desire. So if they all evolve into major league players, then you're going to be in a fortunate position more than anything.
0: Yeah. um, So many of these guys work out at shortstop and end up, as you say, moving off the position, whether they go to second or third or some of them even in the outfield. But that ability to bring value to the middle of the field. And I think all of us are looking for that. You know, there's... There's two things that we kind of look for. If it's a position player, we're looking for guys that can stay in the middle of the field. If it's a pitcher, we're looking for someone who can start and stay in the middle of the order uh, or more middle of the rotation. As a hitter, we're looking for guys that can hit in the middle of the order. So we're looking for guys that stay in the middle, um, knowing that majority of them are going to branch out. But the farther they are away from the big leagues, the more they need to look like they have a chance to stay in that middle. If you, if you sign a, a guy that has a chance to play first base and he doesn't end up playing first, then he's pretty limited to either DH or, unfortunately, a release. But if you do find someone that you think can stay in the middle, whether it be catching or center field or shortstop or starting pitcher, and they, the starting pitcher ends up being a reliever or the shortstop ends up being a third baseman or the center fielder ends up being a corner guy, there's still value. There's still potential defensive value. And there's still a place for him to play on the field.
3: And generally, classes for international size for you guys are what, in that 18 to 20 player?
0: Uh, yeah. with We have two teams in the Dominican. Some teams do. Some teams don't. Uh, some teams are limited to one. So we have to fill a couple rosters. So we have a little bit bigger classes. Um, we're somewhere between, in, in most cases, between 20 and 35 now, some of those are, uh, are pitchers to fill rosters. Uh, generally, the guys that we speak about when we talk about our, our signing class on signing day, um, like you said, they're generally around 18 to
3: 25. Well, we wish you the best of luck. Congratulations on the latest class. Hopefully in three or four years, we're talking about you know, really high-level prospects coming through from that class and uh, continued
0: success with the next groups. Sounds great. Thank you, Neil. I really appreciate it.
3: That's Steve Miller, and we
2: certainly appreciate him joining us to enlighten us on the Rays' latest international class and appreciate the time of one president of baseball operations, Eric Neander, as well. In the near term, sometime this month, we do expect the Rays to announce their minor league coaching staffs, and we'll have probably a podcast on that. We also have a number of Rays who are going to be involved in the World Baseball Classic, and I'm not only talking about those players involved so we'll be talking about a number of staff members we'll have a podcast uh, on that later this month too in the meantime you can always check out our blog raiseradio.moblogs.com for a breakdown of the latest on raised baseball thanks so much for joining us and we will chat with you soon